Parenting is tough. And most of the time, you'd probably rather not talk about it. But we want you to know something. It's okay. We can talk. On the day your child was born, if you searched frantically around the hospital for any type of brochure that talked about how to raise your child, we can talk. Right. Babies should come with an owner's manual. Right. There's the whole what to expect when you're expecting. How about what to expect when you bring the child home because you are so scared you're going to mess it all up and this is your bundle of joy and you just want to do everything right type book book. If you've ever hummed the theme song to Dora the Explorer while at work, we can talk. It's just so catchy. I know, right? Oh, if you've ever said these words, don't make me turn this car around, we can talk. And if you've ever had to turn the car around because you've left your children at home, we can talk. You forgot your children? I'm not proud of it. Dads, if you've ever fallen asleep while playing Barbies, dress up, or at a tea party... We can talk. If you start to see your mommy and daddy time has become less and less, we can talk. Yeah, and if that's not the case, please tell me your secret. If you've ever promised your kids the moon and you just couldn't deliver, we can talk. If you feel like it's too late and you've already blown it, we can talk. If you didn't have a great example of parenting from your own parents and you're struggling to change your family tree, we can talk. If you desperately want to teach your children the Word of God, but you're afraid they're going to ask you why you're not living it, we we can can talk. talk. And last but not least, if the word down has become an abnormally large part of your daily vocabulary, sit down, quiet down, calm down, just just, just dial it down, Get, get, get down, we can talk. Because the truth is, parenting is tough and we need all the help we can get. As parents, it's our job to build a foundation for our children, and we need all the wisdom that's out there. So sit back and relax. Know that you are in good company as we see how God wants us to raise our children in the direction they need to go. All right, we can talk, right? Hey, welcome to Riverside. I'm so glad you're here today. Uh, It is a great day to gather and to be in this room together as we worship Jesus. And uh, if it's your first time here, I want to say what we try to say every week, that we are really glad you're here. And I hope that you'll find what so many of us have found, that this church is a place that you can call home. That this, what we strive to be is a faith family. And and that really means a lot to those of us who belong to the, the family of God here at Riverside. Well, we are in part two of a very short series. This is the last Sunday of it called Milestones a series about families, but I want to tell you, even if you're not in a parenting phase of life or a grandparenting phase of life or any of these phases of life, uh, what we're going to talk about today is important for all of us because I believe this is true, that passing on faith from one generation to the next has always been an activity of the community of God. This is something that we do as followers of Jesus, that all of us participate in as passing on our faith from one generation to to the next. If you were here last Sunday, or maybe if you missed last Sunday, uh, you missed a great message that Jason brought us uh, on this idea of what it means to, to know Jesus and tell stories about Jesus and order our lives around the things that matter most. I would encourage you to go online and listen to that. It was an outstanding message. Today, what I want to lean into is what does this idea of milestones really mean? And how can we use this idea in our families to help our kids come to know and believe what we know and believe in Jesus? I remember the day that Alicia and I had our first child. We had Will. Will was born on August 1st, 2006. 
Um, there was an audible gasp in the room when they placed him on the scales, and the nurse read out the, the weight of our son Will, who was nine pounds and one ounce. And they was like, wow. They just couldn't believe uh, this is one big baby boy that God had brought us right here. And it was uh, awesome. Of course, we had no idea. I didn't know if that was big, small, little. I didn't have any idea. I'm a dad. What do I know? But uh, I was proud. I was like, he was born a linebacker. Here we go. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Uh, but I also remember thinking, you know, now what? You know? Uh, we had spent all these weeks and months and days in preparation, you know, paint, painting the nursery, getting the crib, you know, buying diapers, all the things that you do to get ready to have a child. But then you have one and it's like, now what? And I remember holding him and thinking, you know, this is, man, this is, this is my child, you know, and I've got this responsibility to not kill him. Uh, you know, how do you do this? I remember getting him in the car for the first time and, and driving him home. And I remember uh, Alicia was up there with me and then, you know, he was in the car seat in the back and I've never driven so slow in my entire life. Like every car on the road was a potential threat. <laughs> and we, I, we just inched our way home till we finally got there because for the first time in forever, I had felt, I, I was feeling what it felt like to be a parent, to be a father, to be a dad. But it wasn't just his protection and safety I was worried about. And all of you that have had the joy of being a parent, you, you know something about what I'm talking about. I mean, I realize that now it's my job to, to, to teach him and to raise him and to lead him and to love him and to guide him and to direct him and to, 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 to help him understand what it means to, to become a man and then later to understand what it means to know that he has another father, that he has a heavenly father that he has a God who created him and who loves him more than I could ever love him. And now this is my job as his father to share with him this faith that he has a heavenly father. And if you're anything like me, when, when that reality was sinking in, in fact, if you're a parent, if you're an expectant parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're a foster parent, if you're a step-parent, if you're a single parent, if you're any kind of parent at all, if, you, if, if you've served as, as a mentor or a teacher for a child, for, uh, for a young boy or a young girl, if you have in any way tried to influence kids in, in any direction, you, you know the question that, that all of us face. It's the same question. It's How? How do, we, how do we do this? Because those of us, especially those of us here today, those of us who, who know Jesus, who love Jesus, who are followers of Jesus of Nazareth, we have the same goal. We, we have the exact same goal. Everyone in the room who has kids or cares about kids, all of us have the exact same goal. What we want for our kids is for them to be God-loving, Jesus-following, self-sacrificing adults. That's the goal. We want them to come to know God, love God, and serve God with their lives. We want them to get it. And when we say it, that it is that there is something more to this life. There is something more than cars and clothes and jobs and money and titles and, and all the things that you can, you can accumulate, all the things that you can accomplish. There is something more to this life. And that something more, that something more is Jesus. It's knowing Jesus and sharing Jesus. It's knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus. That's what we really care about. And if you asked any of us, I know sometimes we get our priorities all out of line. Sometimes we get it mixed up. Sometimes our lives, if we're, if we're just honest, they don't reflect this truth. But if you ask me, if I asked you what really matters most, I think all of us in the room would say something like this. 
one day. We want to sit. We want to sit on the banks of the river that flows by the throne of God with our kids next to us on each side. And we want to sing the songs of heaven. We want to join with all the angels singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We want to be there. We want to experience heaven with our kids. That's what we want. I know sometimes it looks like what we really want is for our kid to make the team or our kid to make the grade or our our kid to, to do this or do that, but let's just be honest. There's only one thing that really matters. We all have the same goal. We all want the same thing. We want our kids to know we want our kids to know Jesus and we want our kids to love Jesus so much that it redefines the purpose of their life. We want them to be so in love with you. We want them to, to not only know how to pray, we want them to have a prayer life. We want them to not only read the Bible, we want them to fall in love with the word of God. We want them to know that the same God that was with David when he faced Goliath will be with them when they face those who oppose God. We want our kids to know that the same God that met with Moses will meet with them. We want our kids to know that the same God that used Esther to deliver her people will use them. The same God that sent Paul to share the gospel, spread the gospel, to plant churches around the world will send them to share the gospel and spread the gospel and and send them to plant churches around the globe. This is what we want for our kids, church, is it not? Amen? Are you with me? Come on. This is the dream. This is the vision. This is the hope. The question is how. How do we do that? How do we instill this kind of deep, passionate love for Jesus in our kids. Uh, it's no surprise. We talk about it, I feel like, every week. The question how has always been a question for the people of God. And in fact, if, 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 you, if you know the word of God or the story of God about the people of God at all, you know that over and over again throughout their story, over and over again throughout their history, what they faced, it seemed like, was just a series of impossible situations. Like time after time after time, they would face something that seemed completely impossible. And then, then God would show up and, and he, would, he would make a way where there seemed to, to be no way. And today I want to look at just another one of those stories where God led his people on the brink of an impossible situation. I want you to see what happened, but more importantly, I want you to see what happens after And so if you have a Bible or device, if you want to open it up or turn it on, we're going to look at a story that happens in Joshua, Joshua chapters 3 and 4. So just to catch you up, this is where we are in the story of the people of God. They've already been delivered from Egypt. They had been slaves there for hundreds of years, and God had heard their cry and delivered them from Egypt. He used a man by the name of Moses to lead them out of Egypt and to, to lead them away from Pharaoh and the Egyptian slave drivers. And he led them out into the wilderness, and they ended up being in that wilderness for some 40 years. During that time, Moses has now died. A whole generation has passed away. And now Joshua, this new person, is the person that God is raising up to lead his people. And it's time for them, it's time for them to go to, from where they are at their campsite and cross the Jordan River to go to the land that God has promised them. 
And this, don't miss this, this is what they've been waiting for. For generations, they've been waiting for this. They've been waiting for God to to set them apart as a holy nation, as the people of God, to set them up literally in a very real way. This was God setting up the kingdom of heaven on earth. He was going to make them a nation that was going to be a light to all the other nations to show everyone in the world what life looks like when God is king, to show the rest of the world what it looks like when when things are on earth as they are in heaven, in the, the physical people, Israel of God. This was a huge moment. You can just sense the, the, the excitement and the anticipation throughout the camp as everyone realizes that we're about to go do this. We're about to, to have our own land, to be our own people. God is going to be our God and we're going to be his people. This is it. This is the moment we've all been waiting for. There's only one problem. The problem is the Jordan River. And, and as you read through Joshua 3, what you learn is that at this time in the year, it's the harvest season. And the Jordan River, the water is at flood level. Literally, water is overflowing the banks of the Jordan River. I've, some, I've read some scholars who say that when, when the, the waters of the River Jordan are at flood stages, the current can be up to 40 miles an hour. How are you going to cross a flooded river with currents as strong as that, with a nation of people? At this point, they say that Israel could have been as many as 2 million people strong. We know in chapter 3 or 4 that they have some 40,000 men and they're fighting soldiers. Maybe, just maybe, those guys could cross the river, right? I mean, I don't know how, especially with their equipment, supplies, and provisions, they could do it. But maybe, just maybe, the strongest of the nation of Israel could cross the Jordan River. But how do you cross it with a whole nation of people, some 2 million people? It's impossible. I mean, you've got your, your women and children, you've got the old and the young, you've got those that are sick or just too weak to cross the river. You would think that, that what God might have said was say, I'm going to give you the promised land, and here's what's going to happen. Right now, as you can very well see, uh, the Jordan River is at flood stage, so camp here for two, three, four months, and it's going to recede. And in a very short time, you're going to notice that the water goes down to almost a trickle. And when it gets really, really down, the water goes low, you'll be able to cross over without much problem. That's not what God says, though. I love what God says. God says, here's what I want you to do. Two things. And this is important. This isn't the message, but let me just make this point. For some of you, you need to hear this part today. I want you to do two things. First, purify yourselves. Joshua 3, verse 5, purify yourselves because I'm about to do something miraculous in your presence. And the second thing is obey what I command. Because I'm about to tell you to do something that makes no plausible sense, but it's going to work. So do what I say. Obey what I tell you to do. And some of you, just as a side note, let me just take a time out and let me just say this real quick. Some of you I know are need, you're in need of a miracle I don't, I don't know what, what Jordan River at flood stage is going on in your life right now. If it's problems in your family, problems in your home, problems with your health, problems with your job, problems with finances, problems with fill in the blank. But I know that, that it's just true in a room this size with as many people as we have. There, there is someone or some people in the room today that need a miracle. And you're wondering why God isn't hearing you or God isn't answering you. And why I don't have all the answers to all the questions of all the things of God, I know this. I know that So many times when God does something miraculous, he asks people to do two things. Purify themselves and obey his commands. And I want to ask you, if you're in need today, have you purified your heart before God? And are you doing what he told you to do?
And if you do those two things, I'm not making a promise. I'm just anchoring back to a story of the people of God. So many times when we get right with God and we do what he says, so many times he comes through in ways that we couldn't possibly ask, dream of, or imagine. Amen? Purify yourselves and do what I tell you to do. This is what God told Joshua, because I'm about to do something amazing. In fact, it's going to be miraculous in your presence. So the people do. They purify themselves. They get ready mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally. They, they prepare themselves to do what God is, or to be a part of what God is about to do. And then God says, take the priest and tell them to carry the Ark of the Covenant ahead of the people as you get ready to cross the Jordan River. All right? Now, if you know anything about the Ark of the Covenant, we won't talk much about it, but this literally represents the presence of God with the people of God. Inside the Ark of the Covenant were just a few things, a few, a few tokens of remembrance of what God had done in the past. Things like the, the Ten Commandments, things like Aaron's rod that had budded, uh, things like manna that had fallen from heaven, things that reminded people of how God had been present in the past. And now this, the Ark of the Covenant, was the literal tangible. This was sort of like Jesus before Jesus. It was Emmanuel. It was God with us before God was with us. This was the Ark of the Covenant. It was a reminder that God was present with his people. He said, get the priest to take the Ark of the Covenant ahead of the, ahead of the group and tell them to go and put their feet in the water. When their feet hit the water, something amazing is going to happen. And it did. It's a, it doesn't really make any sense, but they did it. So many times when God says do something, it doesn't make sense, but it always works. God told the, the priest, take the Ark of the Covenant and go stand in the water and watch what happens. So they did. They obeyed. And when they did that, the Bible says that the water from, from upriver stopped flowing. It just, it just stopped. And the rest of the river emptied on into the Dead Sea. And all of a sudden, and this, this to me is the miraculous part. That was amazing. Don't get me wrong. That's a miracle. But what's amazing is this, it says next that the entire nation of Israel, all two million of them, crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where like the river stopped or, or where maybe just the, the, they had drained the lake and you look at the bottom, it's muddy and murky. If you were to get your feet in it, you're, you sink in it like ankle deep because it's so wet. It doesn't say they trudged across the riverbed of the River Jordan through the mud. It says they walked across on dry ground. Amazing. But here's what I want you to hear. Joshua 4 and let's read verses 1 through 7. I want you to hear what happens next after God does this miraculous thing. It says, When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now, choose 12 men, one from each tribe, and tell them to take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan, and carry them out and pile them up in a place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan, in front of the ark of the Lord your God, and each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And we will use these stones, hear this, we will use these stones to build a memorial. And in the future, in the future when your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them. You can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. 
These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. Does this sound a little strange to anybody besides me? Why would you send 12 guys back? Everybody's across. The priests are still standing in there with the Ark of the Covenant. And he says, hey, get 12 guys real quick, just real quick before we move on from this moment. Go get 12 guys, one from each tribe. Send them back to pick up a rock and bring it back. Does that sound strange to anybody? Because the reason we want to do this, the reason God said do this is because, because one day your kids are going to ask, what do these stones mean? And I want you to tell them. Well, why do you need stones to remember the day that God stopped the Jordan River at flood stage and all two million of you went across? How would you ever forget that day, right? Like, we don't need, we don't need any markers to remember this day. We don't need anything to remind us of what God did today. We will never forget this. Are you kidding me? We'll be talking about this forever, literally forever. How could anyone ever forget this? God says, get 12 guys, go get 12 stones, make a memorial, set up these memorial stones as a reminder so that when your kids ask you, what do these stones mean? You can tell them, you can remember this story. How could anyone forget this? But then again, how could we forget, right? Have you ever forgotten anything important? I heard some of you laugh when the guys in the video made the reference about forgetting your kids at church or at home or somewhere. Don't raise your hands. We don't want to judge. This is a non-judging kind of place, right? We forget things, don't we? How could anyone forget? How could anyone? Let me just ask a couple of questions. How could you ever forget? How could we ever forget? How could we ever forget the things that in our lives should be set up as memorial stones, as milestones? How could you forget something like your baptism? So many of us in this room, we've, we've stepped into the waters of baptism and we've claimed Jesus Christ publicly as our Lord and Savior. But yet, if you're anything like me, then there have been times in your life where you've forgotten. You've lived life like that day never happened. I know it because you've chosen to do things you know are against the will of God. Why would you ever choose to do that when you have experienced the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in your baptism, when you've been raised to walk in a new life? It's because we forget. People forget. We had a communion a few minutes ago where we passed the bread and the cup, and for some of us that was just another moment in time. How how can we forget what that moment is all about? How can we forget what Jesus did on the cross as, he's, as his body was broken and his blood was spilled for us? How could we ever forget? But we forget. People forget. People forget all the time. And that's why we need memorial stones. How, how do you do it? I'll tell you what, raising kids in this generation with all the temptations and distractions and things that are around us, it can be a, a little bit like face, facing the, the Jordan River at flood stage, can it not? It seems almost impossible. How do we pass on faith to the next generation, giving all that's going on in our world today? It can, it can seem like mission impossible. But I think this is part of the answer. We set up, as churches, as families, as parents, as people, we set up milestones. We set up memorial stones. Milestones that, that make and mark moments in time that remind us of what God has done. This is what we do. We, we, we create moments, we create milestones that both define and give direction to the faith of our children. This is what 
we do. Well, today at, at Riverside, what we want to do is we want to launch another, what we call an at-home campaign, a faith path launch. And, and you'll see some things set up around the room and in the lobby. I want to ask Rhonda Cullum, our children's minister, to come up on stage with me. And what we want to do, just for a, a couple of minutes, is tell you how we as a church and how we as families can set up these milestones. Um, Rhonda's been up here before with me to talk about all things youth and children and ministry. And today I want to ask her just to help us again as we kind of think about uh, faith path and milestones and, and what we can do as a church. So Rhonda, can you just kind of kick us off by talking about faith path and this launch and what it's all about? Um, faith path was something that um, we started looking at several years ago. And when we launched the at-home center, that was kind of phase one of that, putting guides and information in your hands that would help parents um, deal with different things. And, and faith path is part two of that. Um, faith path is um, it's, it's milestones for parents. When, you, when your child grows up, you have developmental stages. You know when they're supposed to crawl. You know when they're supposed to walk. You know those stages in your child's life. And, and what Faith Paths is, it's spiritual developmental stages that each child should go through. Um, and it's just to help you know what those stages are and where they begin. And, and some will start at different stages, but just to kind of give you a guide of what to do and activities that you can intentionally do with your child from birth all the way up until you launch them into adulthood. And so part of Faith Path is they actually have 12 milestones, right? Can you kind of walk us through what those yes. 12 are? Um, there are 12. I'm going to pull out my phone because that's easier. Um, <laughs> And it's on the website. All of this information you'll get today. There are kits on the table that will have all this. Um, so there are 12 milestones. And the first one, it starts with parent dedication, which we've done at Riverside for years. When we bring the parents up and the baby up and we introduce them to the church family and commit to just raising godly children. Um, so that's the first step. The next step is around age three. Um, and it's teaching, uh, praying blessings over your child and just words of blessings. And it has activities and ways that you can bless your child in your home. And so on their birthday, you'll receive an email um, saying, you know, come by the at-home center, pick up your blessing kit. And it'll have activities that you can do throughout the year so that you're, the whole time they're three, you're just focusing on blessing that child and teaching them what it feels like to be blessed. Um, the next one is family time, and it's the same thing. It just has family time activities that are appropriate for a four-year-old. Um, prepare to lead your child to Christ starts at age five. It doesn't mean they're all going to be baptized at age five, but that's when they can start understanding, um, you know, Jesus and, and his death and what that means. And so you start talking about those things at that age. Um, prayer is another one that's age six. Um, Bible, age seven. I Thinking about all this, I thought about... I remember the first Bible I ever received. It was a red Bible. It's in my office now, and it had my name on it. And when I got that Bible, there was nothing in it. And, you know, I had a brother that was four years, old, four years older, and his Bible was all marked up. And I remember going and getting his Bible and highlighting everything in my Bible that he had in his. And I didn't get it, but I knew that that was important. Like, and he was so mad that I was marking the stuff he had marked. because he, you know. And my parents let me do that because they knew those things were important, and God had written those words on his heart, so that, those would be okay to be highlighted in my Bible, too. And, you know, and so that's just important milestones for kids and just to, to pour into that and make that important. Um, worship is age 8. Um, then we go into giving and serving, age 9. Preparing for adolescence, 11 plus. 
Um, purity, we start talking about at 13, and we've talked about that. The purity one, it may be a different time for you because kids are different. These It happens earlier that you need to start talking about some of these things. So these are recommended. It's not set in stone. Um, then there's a rite of passage when they turn 16, and they're kind of in the almost adult stage. Um, and then there's an 18, they launch. Um, there's another one. The last one is salvation and baptism. And that one is one, we don't know when your child is going to be ready for that. That's one that you're going to have to gauge. And so that one is out there. And so when you're ready for that and you know your child is ready for that, you would, you would pick that one up. So part of what we're wanting to do with this whole idea of faith paths and milestones is put resources in the hands of our parents to help them with these milestones, right? And so uh, maybe it would be helpful to to maybe tell us how do we get the resources and how do we get the tools that you've worked so hard to, to get ready for us? Um, we have the kits available today, and this is just an overview kit that you can take home and you can kind of read all about it, and it explain, explains it much better than I have up here today. Um, there's also a stone that's on the table, and it goes with one of the first activities. And it's just to put that somewhere in your house just to remind you that our, this is what our faith is built on. Our faith is built on Jesus and in a reminder that how important faith is in each home. Um, we have these kits, and this is what they'll look like. Um, and when your child um, has a birthday, you'll get an email from Riverside that says, hey, stop by the at-home center and pick up your child's kit today. Or, to make it easier, we have it all online on the website. Um, there are videos that go with it, so you'll, as, as parents together, you'll watch the video. Um, it's different Christian authors, speakers, um, and it's geared toward whatever that milestone is that your child is at. And then there are activities, and you can either download them from the website, or you can come by, if you like the paper copy, you can stop by the at-home center and get a kit to take that has everything in it for you printed out. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ron. That's incredible. Anything else we need to know about Faith Path and the launch? I think that's it. Just, just commit to it, and I think it's going to make a difference in families. So we're really, really excited, and we want to come alongside you. So if you have questions or just something you need to know or you need additional resources, feel free to let us know. Awesome. Thank you, Rhonda. That's incredible. So parents, today you'll see these tables around, and if you would, just come up and grab a Faith Path kit and uh, one of these stones you can set up. I have one in my office already uh, to remind you that these are milestones. Uh, these are milestones that we can set up for our families, for our kids. This is just one way that we can, we can do things. And when our kids ask, hey, why are we doing that? Why did I get an email on my birthday about a uh, Faith Path kit? Why, why, did we, why did we do this thing or that thing? And you can, you can tell them. It's the same reason that God sent those 12 guys back into the riverbed to get those rocks. So when our kids ask, why are we doing this? What is this all about? Then we can tell them what God is doing and what God has done. So every parent, I have one challenge for you, one really simple challenge uh, for you today. Uh, on our website, like Rhonda said, if you go to the riverside-church.org website, uh, you'll, see, you'll see online there, if you click on the at-home center, you'll see this video under Faith Paths. And I would challenge you to watch it. You'll see the, the intro video we showed today but then you'll see much more. And it's an incredible encouragement to you, and it will help you understand just some, some new and different ways, some ideas to help you as you try to pass on your faith, our faith, to the next generation. I'll, I'll never forget, uh, I'll just wrap up with a story. A few years ago, I was invited uh, to a birthday party for a guy that was turning 13 years old. His dad invited me. He invited me because he had invited 12 men to come and surround his son on his 13th birthday. And every man that was invited, maybe you've been a part of something like this before, he asked all of us to, to bring two things, to bring a letter and then to bring a small gift, a token 
that would commemorate or help his son remember what, what we were there for. And we all gathered around in his basement, and we sat on the couches, and uh, this young man was in the middle. And, and one at a time, we took turns reading the letter and talking about the things that his dad had asked us to talk to him about. Things like, uh, there was one guy there that was really good with finances. So we talked to this young man about, hey, now you're 13, you're starting to become a man. Here's what God says about money, and here's what we believe about money in light of what we believe about God. And he said some really cool and amazing things. Things that you would expect about how we, we give first, we save second, then we live on the rest. But then some other things that were just, just godly wisdom about setting aside money to help those that are in need at, at, for different times and doing, doing different things that is different than the way the world thinks. This is how the people of God think, and we want you to think this way as you become a man of God. He asked one of the guys to talk about relationships and purity and and what we do as men of God is we think about relationships and people and, and ladies and, and how we treat people and how we treat. And it was so meaningful to hear this man of God talk to this, this boy who's becoming a man of God about what it looks like, what it looks like. And one at a time we went around the circle and we read our letters and we gave him our gifts. And then we all gathered around him and laid our hands on him and prayed for him. And what that dad did for his son that day, you know what he did? created a milestone. He made and marked a moment that will forever remind his son of what God is doing and what God has done. We can do this. We can do this. We can pass on our faith to the next generation. It takes all of us. It takes parents. It takes church. It takes everyone in the room pulling in the same direction to accomplish that vision that we have for our kids, that they would know Jesus and that they would love Jesus more than they know, more than they love anything else in the entire world. That's the hope. That's the dream. That's the goal. That's the vision. And God has showed us how to do it. And we can do it together. Church, if you would, stand with me. You know, all we have to do is, as, a, as a church, as a family, as the people of God, is look back, don't we? Look back on a stone that was rolled away. And it reminds us of everything we believe. That Jesus came, that he lived, that he died. And he was raised again. And that stone, I, I, I can't help but think about what happened after the days after Jesus was raised and after he ascended back to heaven. I guarantee you that every time a family or a person or a follower of Jesus walked by that tomb and they saw that stone that was still rolled away, it reminded them. What a powerful reminder to see that stone rolled away and to remember that Jesus is alive. Today, we worship that same Jesus. We worship the Jesus that calls us to walk out of the water to where he is. We worship the Jesus who, who calls us to be strong and courageous. We worship the Jesus that, that has given us faith, faith to both hold on to and cherish and lean into when times are hard, and faith to pass on to our kids so they will have something too to believe in. And it's that faith, it's that Jesus that we worship and that we celebrate today. And I want to encourage us, church, to be that kind of church to be a church of faith, to be a people of faith, and to pass that faith on to our children, to the next generation. Let's sing.